That makes me Pastor Justin today. I'm glad to be with you preaching the word. And I want you to say something with me this morning as we get started. Can you say, I'm a work in progress? Say it again. I'm a work in progress. I think it's so important to acknowledge that simple truth in a lot of situations in our lives. And for some reason, when we come into church, we feel like we have to put on this mask, this mask of perfection, this mask that I didn't have a bad week or that I'm not going through something or that I'm not still learning and growing in this. And sometimes it's tempted, even though I'm just a few feet above you off the floor today, it's tempted to look at me like I'm not a work in progress, like Pastor Kirk is not a work in progress. But can you say it with me today? I'm a work in progress. You know, I'm never more humbled than the week that I'm preparing a message because I'm reminded the whole entire week that I'm a work in progress. God is pointing out all these things. You're not very good at that. You need to grow with that. You need to preach to yourself. So trust me, I've preached this about 17 times to myself this week. And there's some kind of methane leak right outside my office outside. And I've spent the last like 16 out of 20 hours here at church. So I feel maybe a little high too. So it's going to be a good morning. We're all works in progress. You know, I like to watch chiropractor videos on TikTok. Anybody ever watch a chiropractor video? And my back might be hurting and my neck might be hurting, but I hear them get aligned and I feel better for some reason. But what I really like to watch is that sometimes the chiropractor, him or herself, they go to the chiropractor. And it reminded me that sometimes even the chiropractor needs adjusted, needs aligned. So this morning, I don't know if you're a brand new believer that got rushed into the hospital called church in an ambulance today and you desperately need Jesus. I don't know if you're a longtime believer and you're one of the resident doctors on staff, but can we meet in the middle as a whole bunch of works in progress? Can we let the Holy Spirit this morning do a little bit of cracking, a little bit of aligning as we talk about something that I think is going to challenge us today? We're going to talk about forgiveness. And whenever we talk about forgiveness, that's beautiful to think about Jesus on the cross for us. But it's sometimes hard to apply that we need to also have forgiveness in our hearts for others. You see, when you deal with this subject called forgiveness, you also have to deal with its ugly little brother, unforgiveness. I'm going to dive into the Word, but I want to tell you the very confusing title of my sermon. And I want you to sit on it for a bit. I don't want you to get offended with me. But the title of my sermon today is this. God is nowhere. Thank you, Irving, for playing beautifully. Let's give it up for Irving, everybody. Amen. I told you I was going to do it. God is nowhere, huh? Maybe we'll figure that out by the end of this. Let's look first and foremost, if you have your Bibles with you today, or your phones, use it for good, not for evil, right? Let's look at Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says this. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. It is impossible that no offenses should come. What Jesus is telling us and what he's telling his disciples is that in this world, it is impossible that you won't have tribulation, that you won't have trouble and strife, that people will not upset you. It is impossible that you won't have drama. 
right? And today, don't you believe we have a culture that sort of thrives on drama? We have whole industries dedicated to it. In fact, when we go to the movie theaters, we willfully suspend our disbelief for multiple hours so that we can live in, in drama. We also watch reality TV, and I tell you, reality TV wouldn't be half as good without the drama, right? Because if somebody's not getting voted off at the end, why do I care? If somebody's not getting backstabbed and lied to, left at the altar, love is blind fans out there, come on, you know. Anybody, if they're not getting left at the altar at the end, why am I watching? Some of our most quotable songs these days are about drama. If you watch the Super Bowl, Ever so often, it cut away to one of the most famous people in the world, right? Travis Kelsey. And uh, when he's not yelling at his coach, he was catching balls. But uh, no, he has a girlfriend. You might her Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. And she has a song. Uh, one of her most popular songs is about drama. And baby, now we got bad blood. You know, you know it used to be mad love. Now you made a really deep cut. And baby, now we got bad blood. See, I knew you knew it. Michael Kramer, I'm sorry. He tried to live his whole life without hearing a Taylor Swift song. And I brought him one in church. Amen. Maybe, uh, maybe you're a little bit beyond the Taylor Swift generation, but you know of a poet of, of our generation, a guy named Eminem. You didn't, think, you didn't think you'd get an Eminem. You didn't think Pastor Justin would say, God is nowhere, Taylor Swift, and Eminem all within the first three minutes but Eminem raps he says and these times are so hard and they're getting even harder trying to feed and water my seed plus teeter-totter caught up in between being a father and a prima donna baby mama drama too much for me to want to come on somebody some of y'all knew those words better than you know Luke 17 chapter 1 but can you say with me one more time I'm a work in progress one day I'm going to grow up and not quote Eminem in my sermon, but then you probably wouldn't want to listen to me. So Jesus tells us, in this world, it's impossible that you're not going to get hurt and offended. He tells us just a couple of scriptures later in Luke 17, 4. And if he, if a person, if she, sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. You will be offended, and when it happens, you have to forgive. Now, the disciples respond in a very human way that maybe some of us might respond after hearing this. The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Help us, because what you're telling me is hard enough. I'm following you, Jesus. I thought that was a ticket to hard things not happening to me. So you're telling me out of your own mouth that bad things are going to happen, and then you follow it up that I don't just have to forgive them one time, not two times, not three times. I feel like LeBron James, not four, not five, not six. You're telling me that i got to forgive them any time that they come back to me and say sorry. Lord, increase our faith. But the disciples, they didn't need faith to not ever get offended. Jesus said that's impossible. They didn't need the faith to stay big and tough and hardened and numb to every situation in their life. What they needed Jesus to increase their faith with is that when offenses come, they might be courageous enough to forgive. So say it with me one more time. Lord, 
increase our faith. Increase our faith this morning. You see, I believe, and hopefully you believe too, that we are created by a maker who designed us very perfectly and intently. And this creator is called God. And God is love. So at some nature within us, we desire to be loved. I might not love like you do or receive love like you do, but somewhere very, very deep down, we want to be seen and loved and heard and felt and understood for who we are. So since that is innate in us and born in us, then a common fear of ours is to not receive love, is to receive rejection. So I present this to you. Since love is one of our greatest needs and rejection is one of our greatest fears, unforgiveness becomes one of our greatest temptations. Read it one more time. Love is one of our greatest needs. We're born with it. We're made by it. Rejection is one of our greatest fears. So unforgiveness becomes one of our greatest temptations. When we don't feel loved or understood or heard, when we feel wrong or rejected or not appreciated or not valued or not seen, sometimes it can be so tempting to use unforgiveness to justify how we're feeling. It can be so easy and we can be so tempted to weaponize unforgiveness to carry out our own form of justice. But unforgiveness is no justice at all. Unforgiveness can never bring us peace. Hebrews 12, 14, the writer says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, he warns us here. He says, live at peace with people. It's hard, but do it. Walk in holiness with God. It's hard, but do it because when you do, it says, strive for peace and for holiness so that you can see the Lord so that others around you can see the Lord. But you see, when we don't live at peace with people, when we don't walk in step with holiness, not only are we binded, but we're blinded away from our Father in heaven. He goes on and he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, will you say that with me, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many defiled. So when I walk in peace and I walk in holiness, I see God. But when I'm not at peace with people and I'm not keeping the things of God holy, I'm blinded and I'm choked up. And it's so easy for something called a root of bitterness to grow in my life. You see... Surface level problems, the mask, the church mask, the surface level issues, that's one thing. But a lot of us have a root system deep with some junk that goes to, have you ever heard the saying, the root of the problem? A lot of times we want to judge people by the fruit we see. But it's oftentimes the root you see. Right? And we talk a lot here at our church about the law of sowing and reaping. And I'm glad, I'm glad we have a positive life-giving church, amen? People got enough crap to deal with, might as well be encouraged. But we can dwell often too many times in sow good, reap good, sow good, reap good, right? So if I sow fruit of the Holy Spirit 
If that's my root system, then what comes out, the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. But what about a root of bitterness? What about sowing that deep? In the Greek, the phrase bitter root means a bitter root that creates bitter fruit. Anybody ever eaten a bitter, sour thing, a bitter, sour fruit? I gave my little toddler, Henry, a little bite of a lemon once. He got, mmm, sour, daddy, sour, sour. And that's one of the first things we do is we pucker up and we contort our face and we get kind of miserable and it hurts for a second and our eyes water and we squint. You see, we, when we inject this bitterness, this bitter poison into our veins, we get all squinty-eyed, we get all miserable-faced, and it keeps us from seeing God clearly, people clearly, ourselves clearly, all because of this thing called bitterness. Let me remind you again that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble because by it, I become defiled? No. My enemy becomes defiled? No. Many become defiled. It defiles many. You see, bitterness, that bitter root creeps into every single relationship that we have in our lives. That word bitter is like a poison. Now my spirit, my attitude is poisoned. And I want to tell you that the greatest lie of the enemy about unforgiveness is that you can have bitterness toward just one person. The devil's lie to the bitter believer is that you can hate just one. When in reality, that defiles many. You got mama drama, you're going to have wife drama. You got daddy issues, you soon to have son issues if you're lucky enough to have a son. You got issues with authority, then every single team and every single job and every single situation you insert yourself, when somebody tries to speak a little bit of truth to you or coach you or guide you, that is going to stir up because there's a root system of bitterness toward authority. I don't care what the job is. I don't care how good the pay is. I don't care what city you live in. I don't care what your title is. The second that that leader comes to you and says, we need to have a hard talk about this, or I'm going to say no to you, that eats up at you because of the issue of authority in your life. Did a coach or teacher hurt you? Did they offend you? Did they take something from you that you thought you deserved? Did they bench you in the fourth quarter when you should be out there on the court? in Little League or whatever, whatever you were doing, did they hurt you so bad that now every influence that comes into your life, you're just tick, tick, tick. When are they going to disappoint me? I could go on and on about this. What about church hurt? It works both ways, don't it? You see, I told you I was going to walk off the stage today. Sorry. When I think about it from your angle, I realize it can be easy to get offended by leadership. It can be so easy to get offended when somebody didn't call you when you were sick or somebody didn't do this for you or somebody didn't preach the way you wanted or they're not singing the songs you like or they're not spending the money the way that you wanted it to be spent or they're not doing missions the way you would do missions. They're not doing this the way that you would do that. I understand. And the thing is with churches is that there are a million out there and you could always go to another one. They don't know you there yet. Then you could always find a new opportunity. You could always, whatever, whatever. Now you can watch it online and you could flip and choose and do anything you want to do now. I understand. Think about it from my perspective too. My boss 
is my pastor, is my spiritual dad, is also my friend. That's a lot of levels of onion to, to peel back that he could offend me. I can be offended by my friends. I can be offended by my spiritual mentors. I can be offended by my pastor. And I can be offended by my boss. And you wrap that all up into one person. How many times do you think I got to take a little bit of stuff against that root of bitterness? But imagine like, from this perspective, it's easy to get offended at each of you too. We could talk about the surface level things like you're not worshiping the way I think you should or you're not giving yet or you're not serving yet. Okay, that's, that's going to be an eternal struggle. <laughs> okay? But what about the deeper things? I gave to you when nobody else in your life did. I visited you when nobody else would. I believed in you when, when you didn't think anybody else could. I walked through two decades of relationship with you. I was there when you got married. I was there when you said I do. I was there when you buried grandma. I was there when you were sick. I was there when you were healthy. I was there when stuff was going on in your marriage so bad you wouldn't talk about it with anybody but me. But then I say one thing to you and you're down the road at the former, you know, grocery store. I'm not asking you to sit under any level of abuse. If somebody's doing blatant sin and hurting you and harming you and, and moral failures, I'm not asking you to sit under that. Now, sometimes God will ask you to be a beacon of light in a dark situation, but I'm not asking you of that. But let me tell you, we're far pressed from moral failure to somebody told you no. Okay? Can I tell you a personal story? Amen. I have to guard my heart. I love my church. You guys are my friends. You guys are the only friends I had in Asheville when I moved here. Some of y'all might relate. And I had friends that used to serve with me on the worship team, and I loved them, and I empowered them, and blessed them. And they were praying for God to release miracles in their life over a situation. And I prayed with them almost every day, release miracles. They got miracles released in their life. I guess I'm a good prayer. No, no, it's all the glory of God. They got miracles released into their life. And then they texted me and said, we're not coming back to church. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, can I ask why? Can I talk with you? Well, uh, we just want a place that's a little bit more spirit-led, a little bit more spirit-filled. And I said, oh, okay, uh, I think my church is spirit-filled, spirit-led, but I understand different strokes, different folks, and, and I wish you the best. I love you guys. And come to find out, they went to the most Baptist church in the area. Now, I don't know if you know the spectrum of denominations, but when you talk about spirit-filled, you probably don't associate Baptist with that. Now, I'm not hating on Baptist churches. I love them, and I'm not hating on super Pentecostal. I'm not hating on non-denominational, but I'm saying, tell me the truth. Because now I'm sitting in the midst of that conversation. Well, we don't want programmed. Well, then you go to the most programmed place around. We want spirit-led. Well, then you go to whatever. So now I'm sitting on, I almost said the name of it, but I won't. I won't. But now I'm sitting in that conversation, and I miss my friend, and I'm confused, and I'm sad, and now I feel lied to. It's easy. So you know how I figured out that I had a bit of rooterness, a, a, bit, a root of bitterness? <laughs> I did a bit of rooterness. Um. I had a root of bitterness in this because every time I would bring this couple up, I would joke about it. And I would say, oh yeah, they're down there at the most like spirit-filled place ever. And I would make a joke. It was passive-aggressive, but I realized that 
if left unchecked and unguarded, now I look at you that way. Now when I'm standing up here leading you in worship, my heart really isn't clean, really isn't pure, because I'm expecting one day you're going to do the same to me. Can we all just admit that we're a work in progress with some of this? Amen. The idea of this is that the devil says, this is our little secret. You can have this little secret offense toward this one person, but in reality, it's widespread. You see, the devil's goal is always this, to divide and conquer. That's why in Ephesians 6.10, we say, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm against the devil's schemes. His scheme is to divide and conquer you, to make you hate those around you. But you must put on the full armor of God and recognize when that springs up in your life that I must stand firm in the promises of God and guard against the scheme of my enemy in this situation. You see, this is a very big deal. I must walk in forgiveness. I must let things go. And you see, forgiveness is not natural. It might have been natural in the garden when God was there and he created them and everything was perfect for a moment. But as soon as sin entered and as soon as we had separation from God, one of the first things we did was murder. So forgiveness is not natural within us. That's why we must view it as supernatural. That's why we must view it as faith in Jesus to help us forgive. Because it isn't just going to happen. We have to initiate it. We have to put on some armor of God. And we have to have faith today to forgive. I want to help you today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at some things that forgiveness is. Forgiveness is letting go. Forgiveness is Trusting God. And forgiveness is choosing your future instead of living in your past. Control room team, will you leave that up for just a second? I'm going to, Jesus said, it's impossible that I'm not going to feel pain. So it hits me. It hurts. I absorb it. I feel it. And then I'm left with a choice. Do I let this go? Or do I hold on to it? Do I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive? Or do I set up camp in hell and stay in it? Do I begin to call it my identity? Do I begin to walk in it and breathe in it and live in it every day? Forgiveness. A situation hits me. Do I trust that God is with me? Do I trust that God is for me? Do I trust that God can bring me out of this situation and He can vindicate me? Or do I trust that I'm God? in this situation, and I'm going to enact my own form of judgment, my own form of justice, and I'm going to harbor a root of bitterness. And finally, it's choosing my future instead of my past. I cannot help what happened to you, and you can't help what happened to me. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get a little bit of say in what happens next. I can't help what occurred, but I can walk in a tomorrow to see better things occur. Amen. John Maxwell has a great quote. He says, you can't go back and start anew, my friend. But you can start right now and make a brand new end. Forgiveness will never change your past. But it will always change your future. Let me tell you a few things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not being a doormat. Forgiveness is not accepting abuse. 
If you are in an abusive relationship, you can forgive and get you and your babies in the car and drive away. If you're in an abusive church situation, you can forgive and go somewhere else. Okay? Forgiveness is also not always a path to restoration. Sometimes you can forgive that friend and still block and still unfollow and still separate. Forgiveness will always bring you closure, but it may not always bring you restoration. And so if we walk into every time we have to forgive, and I'm learning this, if we have to walk into every time that we forgive, expecting that relationship to go back to the way it used to be, we're going to set ourselves up for some disappointment this morning. I want to share with you three ways. i got 15 minutes with you left. I'm doing way better, Jessica. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to share with you three ways that forgiveness is going to make your life better. Is this blessing you this morning? Is this blessing you? Number one, forgiveness keeps my eyes on Jesus. Colossians 3.12 tells us, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must now clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and peace. God chose you. Has anybody told you that in your life lately? Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, God chose you. God chose you. That's a beautiful scripture. God chose me. And now I have some broad, beautiful characteristics like Jesus that I'm going to strive to. I love clothes, so I might as well clothe myself with that. But he goes on. He says in Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I was good with chosen. Thank you. I was good with that. I was good with a bunch of general characteristics I could strive for. But then you continue on to tell me now to make a budget, an emotional budget for the people in my world to forgive anybody that offends me. We're talking budgets. We're talking Dave Ramsey this morning. You see, if I want to go to Disney World or Legoland, I got to have a budget. I can't go to it on $10. I got to save up for it. If I want to go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse with Amber, we got to save up for it, honey. I'm sorry. I took her once a couple years ago. It was the one and only time. I didn't realize they valeted your car. So I pull up in my car that's about 15 years older than every other car there. And my car at the time, it didn't start right. You had to kind of like hold it a certain way, pray six times and turn it. So I'm telling the valet, this is what you got. You got to stand at this angle. You got to give it the right thing. So it was, an, it was a unique night. But if I want to ever go there again, I got to save up for it and maybe borrow Jessica's car if I want to go there. If I want to go down to the Carolina movie theater and I want to take my friends and my family and we want to see a movie and we want to get the popcorn and the drinks, you got to take out a small business loan nowadays. <laughs> but I tell you what, we're always going to sneak in Raisinets and Diet Coke. Because you can take the boy out of Evergreen Ridge Apartments, but you can't take Evergreen Ridge Apartments out of the boy. But you know, so many times, that that Dollywood fund, it fills up way faster than my allowance for other people's faults. My date night fund is way better to save up for than my fund that forgives people in my world. Oh well, Dave, that envelope's empty. They're going to have to wait. But Jesus says through the writer of Colossians, remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember that the Lord forgave you, Nick, 
So now you should forgive others? So now you, maybe it's a good idea? No, you must. You see, we love passages in the Bible that tell us fun stories. We love uh, generalities. But when things start telling us what we should or shouldn't do, we can get a little bit squirmy. We can say, well, that's just like your opinion, man. Like, No, Jesus tells us pretty clearly in Matthew 6, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Words of Jesus. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiving others is a humbling process. It's sometimes a long, very difficult process. But it's always a process that makes us more like Jesus. I want to encourage you today, make an allowance for your pain. Make an allowance for the people in your world. And just like it said right here, remember that the Lord forgave you. You see, forgiveness happens in the remembering. Let's look at this 2 Corinthians 5.17. This now means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become something new, a brand new person, The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Jesus. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. It goes on, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. When we remember what Jesus did for us, we now have a deposit of grace that we don't only just accept, but now we can give from. There's a person or a situation or a thing that has been in your mind all morning when I've been talking about this. And that is something that the Holy Spirit is wrestling with you about, maybe letting go of, maybe releasing. But when we forgive, we don't forget We remember, but we don't remember what they did to us. We don't remember how good we are to have forgiven them. We remember through him, which we're even able to receive forgiveness or even give it. So this morning, I want to tell you this. It's not forgive and forget. We got a slide. It's forgive and remember. There are some things in your life that you're never going to forget. We've talked about surface level offense. There are some things that happened to you as a kid that you you might not ever forget. There's some things that's happened to you in your relationships that you might not ever forget. But faith is not denial. Faith is not talking yourself into being okay. Faith is remembering Jesus. And without Him, where would I be? And because of what He did for me, I can now give to others. When you've accepted Jesus, you are in the ministry of forgiveness. Let's look at my second point. Two more points. Forgiveness shuts the door. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger do not sin. The King James writes it this way, Be ye angry and sin not. It's not a bad thing to get upset about something. It's not a bad thing to feel anger. It's not a bad thing to have a reaction. We just can't live in it. We just can't identify it. Emotions can be a gift, but sin is a trap. 
We can experience things, but we don't have to weaponize it. It says, don't let the sun go down on our anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. You know, I hear Christians a lot of times tell me, Pastor Justin, the devil's just after me. He's after my family. He's after my job. He's after this. He's after that. The devil's coming at us at all angles. Can you pray for me? Can you anoint me with oil? Can you do a foot washing? Can you, can you sprinkle something on me? Can you give me a prayer cloth? Can we rebuke? Can we do this? Can we do that? The first thing I'd ask that person is, have you forgiven? Because when we go to bed angry, when we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, we are giving the devil a foothold in our lives. I can speak in tongues and pray over you all day long, but I can't forgive for you. If I live in a pit of unresolved anger and unforgiveness, I'm going to give the devil a foothold in my life. And if I let the sun go down on my anger, then I'm going to sleep with Satan. I'm making my bed in hell. Have you ever had a little argument with your spouse, just a little, or a friend? It's about the dishes or something. It's stupid. And you get upset, you go to bed, and the next morning you wake up and you're even mad, even more mad, even angrier at that person. And before you know it, it's been three days of cold shoulder and three days of tiptoeing around each other's feelings. And three days becomes three weeks because we're, not just, we're just not doing right. And it all started over something so small. But each night you went to bed with the devil. I'm not saying your wife is the devil. But I'm saying it's very clear that when we choose to let the sun go down on our anger, we spend the night being counseled by the enemy. Now when we wake up, we don't see them the way that God sees them. We don't see them even the way that we see them. We see them the way that the enemy tells me that they are. Their enemy. You have to shut the door. You ever ask yourself, how, do, how would a person ever become a Nazi? They didn't start off that way. They started by hating one person. And then they went to the bed with the devil every single night until they hated a large group of people. We have to shut the door. We have to shut the door. You see, offense is a moment, but living offended is a decision. But I want to encourage you today that the Lord Jesus wants better for you. He died to give you a better life. Not just eternity in heaven, but a better life here on earth. Not just a life to the minimum, but a life to the full. You see, God wants to put his hand in that root. And he wants to heal. And he wants to fix. He wants your heart to be open. He wants the devil to not have a foothold in your life. He wants you to go to bed meditating on him, not getting counseled by the enemy. He wants to reach down. It says here in scripture, in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in hell, you are there. God is with us. Even when we make decisions that continually drive him away, he is there trying to heal that root of bitterness. And I ask you today, would you let him? I ask you today, would you let him? We're going to go to my final point. This is the last thing. Forgiveness changes my perspective. We've talked about this all morning. When I'm puckered up by bitterness, I'm blinded. But when I embrace forgiveness, I see things more clearly. I see my God more clearly. I see myself more clearly. I see those I love and even those I might not love more clearly. And this brings me to a story that is really the, the root of this sermon. 
And it's the reason why my title was confusing to you maybe at first. Remember my title? What was it? God is nowhere. God is nowhere. This is a very intentional sentence. Because this is about a story of a girl that needed to forgive. You see, she was a Christian young lady in a college class. And how many of us know sometimes going to college as a Christian? I love college. It's beautiful, but it can also be challenging. And her professor was just the known atheist. Like, he's going to dismantle the believers in his class. He kind of, you know, thrived on it, enjoyed it. And she was very open. She was in all the clubs, and she was very professing. Reminded me of Allie, just professing her faith, being bold in Jesus. So he took little shots at her all year long. But finally, he was teaching on the world religions. And he identified this as a time to really humiliate this girl. And he said, you, young lady, you're a professed Christian, right? Well, what's the difference? I'm an atheist. What's the difference between me and you? And she was frozen. She couldn't say anything. He said, you know what the difference is? Is I believe in one God fewer than you do. He said, you know what, young lady? You can't even answer the question I'm asking you. And he took his pen and he wrote in big, bold letters on the door, your God is nowhere. Can we show that on screen? Your God, no, please. He jumped the gun on me. Your God is, thank you, Mike Revier. Your God is nowhere. Jesus, help me. Um, forgive. <laughs> Go make me break out in tongues on that one. That was great. This embarrassed her. Your God is nowhere. Friends laughed. Teacher mocked. She shrinks down. As soon as class ends, she rushes home. She's crying. The normal things go through her thoughts. How can I drop this class? Are they going to take me seriously? This guy hates me. But she made a decision not to go to bed with the devil that night. She hit her knees on the floor and she said, God is nowhere. God is nowhere. Are you here with me? Help me to see this man the way that you see him. Help me to let go of this. Help me to forgive. She went to bed with a peace in her heart. She walked back into that same class the next day. The teacher actually still had those words written on the chalkboard. It was kind of like one final gut punch. The teacher expected her fully to like drop the class, not show back up. But here she is. She's smiling and she's happy. So he jumps on it. Hey, you're awfully chipper. For somebody that, like, I just destroyed yesterday. And she said, well, if you would allow me. She takes the piece of chalk. She said, you know what? The enemy meant for evil. God meant for good. And you actually proved my point yesterday without me having to say a word. You see, you believe that my God is nowhere. But as I prayed for forgiveness for you last night, the Lord just identified to me that your God is now here. You see, it was this simple act of taking something that was hurtful and looking at it a different way. 
There may be a situation in your life where stuff is swirling all around you and all you feel and hear and see is God is nowhere. God is nowhere. God is not with you. God is away. But all it takes is not being counseled by the enemy each night that you go to sleep, but allowing some things to be released from your soul, allowing things to be planted in you that are fruits of the Holy Spirit, not roots of bitterness, allowing God to just flip that perspective, even as simple as one word, to look at one word, one person, one thing, a different way. So how do we forgive? This is your last verse of the day. We get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, all types of evil behavior. Instead, we be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I wonder if you would pray with me today with every head bowed, every eye closed. As I was preparing this all week long, there were certain of you that kept entering my mind. Situations you've told me about, situations I know you're working through. And I couldn't help but just preach directly to you and to myself today. I believe a situation like this can hit us so hard because there are so many things we can be hurt by. It's impossible to avoid. But I wonder today if we might open up our hearts to receive forgiveness from God and that we may have a deposit of grace to give out to those in our world. I want to ask you a question this morning. Maybe you don't even know Jesus or you've been so far away, you've been sleeping with Satan every night for so long you wouldn't even recognize the sound of Jesus' voice if he was right next to you. And you say, Pastor Justin, there's so much in my life I want to forgive, but I need to first accept forgiveness. If you would like to surrender your life to Jesus this morning, I just ask that you lift your hand in this space right now. Just lift your hand in this space. I accept forgiveness. I accept forgiveness. And I want to ask a broader question. If while in this message you have been considering something you need to let go of, somebody you need to pray for instead of scheme against, would you raise your hand this morning and say, Pastor Justin, I want to be in the ministry of reconciliation. If that's you this morning and you just want to forgive something in your life, would you join with me in raising your hand all across this room? that there is something in your life that you are forgiving and letting go of and releasing in this place today. Hands everywhere. Let's pray two prayers together. One is a general prayer. Lord, open my heart to forgiveness. Help me to see them like you. Help me see Jesus more clearly. Help me shut the door to the enemy and change my perspective. And if you just accepted Jesus, which I know that there were a few in the back, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love, to your Lordship. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. But I come to the cross where you paid the price for my salvation. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning as I surrender to you. Help me become the person 
you created me to be. Amen, amen. Can we give the Lord some praise this morning?